0: Welcome to the Nutrition Edit Podcast for high-performing women who want to uplevel their health and feel their best in their bodies, careers, and personal lives. In this podcast, I'll sift through the latest nutrition and biohacking trends to filter out the BS, share what you really need to know, and help you put the good stuff into practice in a way that works for you. You'll get actionable tips from guest experts and myself on how to optimize your mindset, workouts, relationships, and environment, and start feeling like the badass woman you are. Join me as we bust through the bro science and male-centric health paradigm to help you achieve optimal performance and well-being, body, mind, and soul. Well, hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Nutrition Edit. My guest today is Kat Buckley. Kat, I am so excited to have you with me. Thanks for joining us. Thank you so much for having me. I'm I'm pumped. (laughs) I'm thrilled to have you here. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your background. We met, gosh, I don't know, what year was it that you founded... Krav Maga Seattle, 2014. 2014. Okay, so yeah, I've known you since twenty fourteen when I I came there to try to learn to learn self defense and learn to be a badass.
1: (laughs) You totally are a badass. Oh gosh, Ah, I pay you later. I wish, wish. Um, but yeah, tell us a little bit about your background. Yeah, so thank you again for having me. I'm Kat. Um, I am a Strong First team leader and a Strong First elite instructor, and that just basically means I teach people how to use kettlebells safely, right, to get stronger. Um, so that's kind of my specialty. In terms of my certifications and my background, I'm certified as a NASM National Academy of Sports Medicine personal trainer, also Ground Force Method, which is a movement. Practice, flexible steel, TRX, and precision nutrition. So those are kind of my, my tools that I draw on in my coaching practice. But I haven't always been a coach. I actually, before Cho and I opened our gym, Gas Seattle, which we had from 2014 up and through 2021, uh, we both worked at Microsoft. I basically, my first job out of college was in the corporate world, Microsoft and the tech world. So uh it wasn't until 2014. 13, 2014, that we decided to step away from those corporate jobs and become gym owners and open our own gym, which was an amazing seven-year wild ride of entrepreneurship and just growing this big, successful gym. Uh, And it was great, but we also took the opportunity in 2021 to kind of step away from the intensity of the gym owner life. And now we've been just focusing more on our online business, our YouTube channel, our coaching, coaching our students doing some business coaching and just kind of, you know, growing and testing out our our current offerings as coaches. So um, that's kind of of the main intro, I think.
0: Yeah, very cool. So good. So I would love to hear to a little further back. I know that we have talked, you and I personally, about our relationships with food. But yeah, like you said, you haven't always been this amazing fitness goddess. (laughs)
1: God. okay goddess is definitely an exaggeration but thank you and not far not far off.
0: <laughs> but yeah i would just love for you to share whatever you're willing to as far as your journey and your relationship with food from you know as a young woman
1: um to where you're at now yeah, happy to. So, basically from my childhood all the way up through my early to mid 20s, I had a great relationship with food, no issues. Um, you know, my mom did a lot of cooking and there was just a lot of variety and just kind of you could say I was a normal 80s and 90s kid, right? Like we would have Dinners with a variety of like meats and veggies and, you know, rice and potatoes and stuff. And it was a lot of homemade stuff, but there was also nothing restrictive in my growing up years. And we enjoyed, you know, ice cream and chips and, you know, cookies and whatever, just that sort of normal, balanced, non restrictive, but also having like a variety of nutritious foods. Right. So, yeah, like really thankful for that. Like, had an amazing kind of household and family and environment for developing that healthy relationship with food which i think is in my early thing. years. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Yeah. I think about it a lot actually because i spend a lot of time with friends and you know people who have young kids and it's interesting to see sort of that spectrum of some kids who are very open to trying new things and who are right. open to maybe they have a favorite vegetable maybe they have a favorite protein and they're doing well in that spectrum. And then to the other end of the spectrum where kids who really struggle with being open to that. Um, and I don't want to go down a rabbit hole, but I think I was really lucky to just kind of be like that kid that's like, yeah, like steamed carrots with butter on them. Great. Like broccoli with mayo on it. Awesome. We had a lot of mayo. <laughs> so <laughs> we kind of had that like variety and that healthy relationship. So it wasn't until I started working at Microsoft in my early to mid 20s. And I think there were a couple things going on there that led me down this path of disordered eating. And eventually, actually, in my mid 20s for about three years, I was bulimic. And, you know, looking back on that, I think there were a couple things that kind of crossed in my life. One of those things was me just being naturally a type A personality and a very achievement. Focused person, you know, maybe a perfectionist in some areas of my life, in those achievement areas of my life. So I think kind of being that very type A person then crossed over with, I think, me feeling quite insecure about sort of like dating and like guys. (laughs) I felt very left out, I think, in that world where I felt like you know, that feeling where you're like, all my friends are in serious relationships and they're in these committed relationships. And I sort of was always like the single fun one who wasn't in a committed relationship. And so I think when you took those two things of like being in a a corporate job, a demanding corporate job, a type A personality, so you have the stress in your life coming from those things, and then combine that with some sort of probably deep-seated insecurities about my social slash dating life, I think that ended up being sort of this toxic cocktail of where is that stress and anxiety going to go, right? And everybody manifests their anxiety and stress in different ways. So for me, as that 20-something like go-getter in the corporate world, that manifested in food, right. And having foods be either sort of forbidden or allowed. And then, you know, it developing into like, you know, secret, like hidden, like binge and purge issues. Um, yeah. so yeah, I think that was obviously one of the darker chapters of my life. I'm very, very, you know, thankful to be where I am today. And we can talk more about like how I got from there to to here, um, where I feel great, about myself and my relationship with food. But yeah, I think that that was a a big sort of hurdle that I had to get over. And you really helped me, even though I wasn't bulimic when I saw you as a coach, I still needed your help in letting go of some of those like vestiges of disordered eating mindset. So.
0: Yeah. Well, I am honored and humbled to have played some small part in that because I think- It was a big part. You're, yeah, just everything you've accomplished and the person that you are is incredibly inspirational. So um, thank you for sharing that with us because I think that so many of us, men too, but women especially, have had that period in our life where, you know, it was a perfect storm or many of, I mean, like myself, we may have grown up in a situation where disordered eating was modeled for us and where the emphasis was always put on being thin enough, being pretty enough, mm-hmm. all of these things. And so there's this overemphasis, right, of of looks. And so I think it's very common in our culture for us to equate looks or body size type with with value. Yeah, yeah, totally. Which obviously we know in our heads is not the case, but it's really hard to reprogram that. And so that's, I think, a fascinating part of your story because I just think it's really encouraging for people to hear like, oh yeah, you can come from a place where you felt like essentially like a slave to food or like it was in control Mm -hmm. and you were out of control Mm -hmm. or, you know, it felt like I'll never have a relationship with food that's healthy. And so I always love to talk with other women and have guests on who have overcome that and come out the other side because it is possible and there are times when you're in the midst of that where it doesn't feel like you'll ever be be normal or feel normal.
1: Yeah, uh, and when where it doesn't feel like like it's so hard in that when you're in it to have that big of a secret. And that Mm -hmm. big of like a shame, a shame spiral secret that you feel like, because there's so much shame and stigma attached to it. So you feel like you can't talk, tell anybody about it. And, but it's, but it is controlling your life and you do feel out of control. So yeah. And I think that there are a lot of, you know, you're not going to overcome something like that with just like one approach or, or one bullet, right? Like you have to approach it from like your emotional health and your, you know, what's the, what's the root cause. And, you know, so you, you need almost like this team of, (laughs) of things that you need to do, where, how are you approaching your exercise? How are you approaching your work? How are you approaching your relationship with food? How are you approaching your relationship with others? And you have to almost fix all of those things, at least to a certain extent, in order to like, take that step out of the, whole of like an eating disorder. So yeah.
0: Absolutely. It's that holistic, whole person, whole body approach. I think so many people are like, well, just tell me what to eat.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh no, that's the worst. (laughs) (laughs) One piece of the puzzle. Yeah. One piece of the puzzle. So So I I remember you telling me too, like when I was working with you, you said there are a few like truth bombs that like, I still remember nine years later. And one of them was when I was telling you this story, you were like, oh, you were missing emotional food, like soul food. And that part was empty. And so Mm. you filled it with like sort of this like binge and purge like cycle. And I was like, wow, that was a truth bomb. That was so true. So yeah, you had a lot of great insights. Uh,
0: Well, you know, I've been there. I've been there. I've struggled with bulimia for years, for years and the binge eating and purging and all that awful stuff. It's a really miserable, horrible place to be. And it really does feel like it might be an endless trap, but it's true. It's usually we're trying to fill some other void right? Yes. That, yeah. that isn't fulfilled in our lives. Hello, nutrition editors. If you've been listening and you're ready to put this work into practice in your own life, Head over to joliverwellness.com and book a free 30-minute chat to learn more about coaching with me or to check out my self-study programs. I also invite you to join my email list where you'll hear from me a few times each month with recipes and strategies for reducing stress, improving your metabolic health and working out smarter, not harder. Subscribers will also receive exclusive offers on my programs that I don't share anywhere else, and you'll get early access to registration for my Body Liberation Together group program. I look forward to connecting with you, and let's get back to the show. So I want you to talk a little bit about, because one of one of the things when you were teaching Krav Maga, tell us a little about what Krav Maga is for people who aren't familiar And then how you guys got into it and eventually founded a gym. And then another aspect of that that I'd love for you to touch on is the empowerment aspect of Krav Maga, which I find is present for sure in any kind of strength training, especially for women. But I think there's something about Krav Maga and being able, like knowing that you can defend yourself, that's really powerful and just empowering and- Liberating, so yeah, that was kind of a
1: three-parter. But (laughs) yeah, (laughs) no worries. Start Krav Maga and then end up founding the gym. So, well, we'll do like what is Krav Maga. So, Krav Maga is a uh, combat system that was developed by and for the Israeli military. So, it comes from Israel, and they, you know, the founder, the guy who created it, basically wanted to create. What he felt was the most effective self defense and combat system that he could come up with. And he kind of borrowed all the things that he liked the most from boxing, from wrestling, from, you know, kickboxing, from grappling, you know, so he kind of was like, I'm going to take all these pieces and put it together into this system that I think is going to be the most effective for sort of a a street scenario or combat scenario. So the reason how we got into it, I mean, Cho has been practicing it. He just found it when he was in his twenties. He was like, I want to look for a cool martial art to do and came across it. And he was like, whoa, they do headbutts! This is so cool. (laughs) (laughs) So, um, but he got into it first, obviously. And when I moved from Seattle to Toronto in 2009 for a job in that Microsoft office and also because to kind of explore where things with me and Cho were going to go, we were sort of like, oh, let's try this out. He was already an instructor in Krav Maga at Krav Maga okay. Toronto. So he was already teaching cool. at the Toronto school. And so... I moved there and I was like, yeah, of course, I'm going to be part of your gym. I mean, great. And so I became a student at Krav Maga Toronto. And I do remember I actually wrote in my notes for this podcast, the word empowering, because that for me was a shift from um, basically just doing like a lot of running. I did half marathons all the time. I was just doing like massive amounts of cardio and running, which was obviously linked to you know, like mm-hmm. the the mm-hmm. foods, it was sort of like uh, sort of borderline excessive exercise slash cardio combined with like the food issues. It's all yeah. the same, same thing going on. Yeah. And so I switched to the workouts at Krav Maga Toronto. And yes, for sure. I felt that those trainings were very empowering because yes, you're learning skills for self-defense, but also just that Effectiveness of high intensity interval training. Obviously, in my 40s, I don't, this, you know, you kind of train a different way in your 40s than you do in your 20s and early 30s. But back then, sure. it was like high intensity interval training was super. Cool and efficient. And, you know, it did have more kind of muscle and strength building than just running, right? So it was right. kind of, I would say, my gateway drug <laughs> into <laughs> uh, I would say more effective types of training. So yeah, chose an instructor. He was like one of the lead instructors. I was a student there. That's how I got into it. And then it was over those next few years when we were we were kind of making our plans to move back to the Seattle area. We were like, you know, we could open up a Krav Maga gym as well and that would be kind of like our dream. So that's what we did. Very cool. I love it.
0: Yeah, the empowerment piece of any strength training I think is is really wonderful. Krav Maga, I I remember referring several people to you and I still refer them to different self-defense classes, especially women who have been attacked or have had any kind yeah. of, you know, physical abuse. And I think that that's a really great way to kind of come out of that victim place and into a place of of empowerment and of strength and, and power. Kettlebells. So this is something that like eventually I'm going to invest in kettlebells for myself. I want to do it so much. Talk to me a little more about how you got into kettlebell training and kind of the difference between that and traditional weight training.
1: Okay. So we mentioned that we opened to the gym in 2014. And at that time, Cho was already a pretty high level Krav Maga instructor. And I, as the co-owner, I, I mean, I was still working at Microsoft at the time. I left a little bit later. I didn't have any like fitness certifications yet. And so we had to answer the question, what's the most effective sort of fitness slash strength and conditioning offering? that makes sense for us to offer alongside to support Krav Maga and and a martial Mm. arts type offering. And so I remember we considered considered a few different options. We considered CrossFit and we considered kettlebells. I want to say there was probably sort of like a generic circuit training option that was probably on the table as well. And we chose kettlebells as what what we would offer at KMS because they're known for being really effective in martial arts training, like as like the okay. tool for martial artists. So whether it's, you know, like an MMA fighter or something like uh, kettlebells have always been known as a, like one of the more effective and kind of popular tools in that world just because they're so versatile and there's a lot of like explosive power mm. and conditioning stuff that you can do with them that is a, a little bit harder to do with barbells like barbell especially powerlifting like deadlifting and bench yeah. press and back squat i mean that builds raw strength but it it doesn't necessarily build a lot of mobility and agility and speed and quickness that you need for martial arts so we sure. wanted Makes sense. that yeah we're like what is a tool that you can use that not only builds strength and, you know, muscle, but also, um, quickness, speed, explosive power, and doesn't kind of put you in a place where you're like, almost like locked up from a <laughs> mobility right. perspective. Right. Um, so yeah, so we chose Kettlebells for that reason. And then I just kind of started researching certifications and, you know, who, Who did a great job at teaching kettlebells. And so I ended up choosing Strong First. And I went to the level one, kettlebell level one certification for instructors in 2015. And, you know, you could say the rest is history. And I think what I found, obviously, I worked with coaches to get ready for it. Like, you need a coach to get ready for that certification because it's very demanding. And the technique is, the technique testing is pretty exacting. Um, And so through working with my, Coaches and also through the experience of that weekend, that it's a three-day certification. I don't know. I think I felt like I found my people. Mm-hmm. Cool. <laughs> when yeah. you surround yourself with, I mean, there were like men and women there. It wasn't like a it didn't feel like a male dominated at all. It actually was very kind of 50 50 split on men and women at that certification. And you, or I guess what my experience was is that. I found people who really cared about um, not only challenging themselves physically and mentally, but also sharing and spreading that Mm -hmm. knowledge. And so I think, yeah, I, I actually have a hard time putting my finger on exactly what it was, but it definitely was that feeling of like, oh, these are my people. They wanna, yeah. they wanna push themselves. They wanna train for something that's like a hard goal, right? They don't wanna just be like, oh, I'm just gonna relax like all the time. Like, yeah. I, believe me, I love relaxing, <laughs> but I don't wanna only do that, right? I also wanna kind of push my boundaries a bit and see what I can do. Um, and I, and I found that at that certification, and it also gave me a path, right? Where I'm like, mm. oh my gosh. I went to this thing and I passed and I, and I did it. And it was an amazing feeling of accomplishment. Yeah. And let's come back to performance-based goals because I totally was taking notes. Of, I definitely yeah. want to talk about that. Um, But so you have these performance goals that you, that you just achieve and you crush them and you're like, what's next right like mm. i hit a performance goal what's the next thing that i can train for and learn and grow and um you know become stronger not just physically yes becoming physically stronger is a you know a huge part of it but also like building your sort of mental fortitude and and learning as you go so that was a little bit long answer but you could tell it was an impactful weekend for me and since then i've been to lots and lots of strong first events and certifications So awesome. It's, I love to hear you talk about it because
0: you do get so excited about it. (laughs) Let's go down that performance goal path because I think that that is something that is much more motivating. And, you know, that's what we're kind of talking about today is this finding lasting motivation or staying the course. And a lot of people struggle with that. And Mm -hmm. I, in my practice over 10 years, I really frequently see that just having some sort of a weight loss goal or body fat percentage goal is not enough. It's not enough yeah, for people. To stick to something. Right. And that often they are much more excited about pursuing an actual performance or athletic goal event, something along those lines. So so talk a little bit about performance goals. Oh.
1: Yes. So agree. Like and I know that you you work with a lot of women. You have a lot of women listeners. So I think I'll probably talk a little bit more from the point of view of women, right? In this in this question and answer, but I think for me and you and probably for a lot of other women, making that fundamental shift from trying to just be smaller and thinner and take up less space towards trying to be, you know, stronger or able to To accomplish something is a fundamental like mindset and identity shift that can, you know, fundamentally improve the quality of your life and improve your overall just like self confidence, self esteem, and mental and emotional health. Absolutely. So, examples of performance based goals. I mean, for me, like passing the Strong First Level One Kettlebell Instructor certification was sort of the first big one. I mean, before that, I did do half marathons and I'd be like, I want to get like, Sub one hour and 50, or you know, I mean, that's that's still a performance based goal, and that's fine. But I think when I stepped away from a very heavy cardio version of a performance based goal into okay, I have to complete the snatch test 100 snatches with the 16 kg, 35 pound bell in five minutes, you know, to like an exacting standard on top of the other skills that you're tested on um, with these specific weights that really. Got me away from this place of just trying to be smaller mm-hmm. and instead working towards these performance based goals. And yeah, so the cool thing is that it's okay to have aesthetic goals, right? Like, that's okay. there, there's nothing wrong with that. And, and a lot of us do, but you, in order for it to work, you have to sort of couch them in goals around what you can do. When you're focused on the goal of what you can do, a lot of times the aesthetic things will happen sort of naturally without trying it or right. not without trying, but you know what I mean? Without having to focus yeah, on it. It's a side benefit. <laughs> yes. Yes. And I feel like that a- ends up being that really healthy mental space. But yeah, I wrote down like a few different examples like of, of different ways that you can structure your goals that are not just aesthetic. So one of them is performance-based goals, being able to pass the snatch test um being able to you know pass like the, the do a, a proper get up right turkish get up that passes the the skills testing standard um you know being able to do a chin up or a pull up right and then yeah. in order to do that you have to have a plan and you have to have structure to your plan and work towards something um which is a amazing process to kind of like put yourself through and work with a coach Um, you can also even just have technique goals. So Mm -hmm. I have a student right now who is working on her, um, squat, like her goblet squat. And even though we're not loading up her goblet squat super heavy, like she's still using, you know, the 25 pound bell, like sometimes the 35 pound bell, but nothing like crazy heavy, Mm -hmm. but she's come so far where at first she wasn't able to do a goblet squat without her spine rounding. Mm. And that's sort of like a, a key technique thing in the squat in order to squat safely and with strength. You want to keep what's called a neutral spine. So okay. without getting into the details of that, she was having trouble with that. And so we've been working on her mobility and her technique and finding the right depth so that she can now squat with a neutral spine and be like, oh, this is passing the standard of what a safe and strong squat Looks like, right? So, even just improving your technique and hitting certain technique standards is a great goal to shoot for. And I'd love to interject something on that. Yeah, go
0: ahead. When we're talking about, and I discussed this a little bit in an episode with Dustin Hassard in season one, but when we're talking about technique, it is so crucial to focus on that because I think that there are a lot of people that are just getting out there and doing workouts. With not a lot of focus on techniques. And Mm -hmm. what can happen there is you can find yourself getting injured. You can have pain that comes Mm -hmm. out of doing things incorrectly with improper body mechanics. Mm -hmm. And that is not where we want to go. You're better off to do much lighter weights and really perfect a movement and then Mm -hmm. gradually increase Mm -hmm. so that you're getting the full benefit of that movement and preventing injury, preventing pain. You know, this. Leads into a whole conversation about aging well and Mm -hmm. staying mobile and agile as we age versus, you know, hitting your workout super hard, not doing it correctly, ending up injured or hurting. And then you don't, you, you can't work out consistently anymore. And then you're not reaching your goals. And then it's that awful, vicious cycle where people just lose motivation. They get, you know, discouraged and, yeah, it's, it's yeah. really hard to stick with something if if you're in pain all the time or getting hurt. Often. Yeah. So, oh my gosh. Anyway. You touched
1: on so much there. there that was <laughs> such a rich, like, <laughs> like multi-layered. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I'm like, oh my gosh, I could take three different things from this and just go off for 10 minutes, which I won't. But but yes, 100%. Um, if you had Told twenty-three-year-old me that I would have been like, whatever. Yeah. I'm just gonna do a hundred <laughs> burpees. Like that's the best way to burn calories. Like whatever. I was there, you know, in in my twenties, just oh, doing me too. doing stuff that was super high intensity. Um, oh, Shanti insanity yeah. in the basement. Like oh yeah, I like love
0: some Shanti, but yeah, yeah, absolutely.
1: yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like started with P90X and then went into Shanti, which yep. like upped the ante. It was like crazy, like 180 degree jump squats until you were like basically going to throw up. So anyway, I've I've been there, right? I used to be in that school of thought. And that's another, like we already talked about one mindset shift, which was, you know, moving towards performance-based goals. Another like key, key mindset shift as we age, like what you said is moving towards um, focusing on... Learning the skill and learning the technique. And what we, what my coaches taught me, and what we say in the Strong First System is strength is a skill and you have to earn the load. Mm, So earn the load, right? Like, so if you need to learn how to, Let's use the Turkish getup because that's a a very specific kettlebell, it's a kettlebell move. Um, and B, it's uh it has a lot of steps, it's more complicated than your average bicep curl or something like that. Right. So with the getup, we are very and any movement, we're like you have to learn it body weight first with no bell
0: mm-hmm,
1: mm-hmm. and and understand the strongest and safest positions at each step so that you're never putting your shoulder joint at risk. You're never putting your spine and your vertebrae at risk. You're never putting your knees at risk. And so when we teach it, even if somebody is just doing it body weight, we're like, I want you to pretend you have a hundred pound kettlebell overhead. Would you you do whatever it is you're doing with a hundred pound kettlebell. No, let's figure out the way to do it so that you in theory could do it with a hundred pound kettlebell and not rip your shoulder out, you know? And so I'm not going to say I was perfect at it. I'm I'm sure there were times that I maybe like resisted it a little bit, but I did eventually arrive at this place where it's like every single time you go to work out, we actually call it a practice, Mm -hmm. like a skill practice. You know, it's the same idea as a musician sitting down at the piano and practicing. You're practicing your military press. You're practicing your swing. And when you make that shift, like the strength gains come a lot faster and you get the results a lot faster because you're using your whole body the way it was meant to be used and you're not putting it at risk and you're not taxing it in a way that... Is detrimental because, like you mentioned, putting yourself at risk of injury and pain as, as the negative things that can happen when you're just always pushing it too hard. Mm-hmm. You can also, I think, Dustin mentioned this: tax your nervous system. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Like your your basically, it's the computer, right? The computer is the thing that is telling all your muscles to tense up and and flex, right? Like your brain and your your spinal cord and all those things are like sending those signals. And so if you're – every time you work out three days a week, four days a week, five days a week, you're maxing out at 100% effort, your central nervous system just is like, ah! <laughs> you know, it just fries. Yeah. And you feel really tired and you can't – it's that like tired and wired feeling and mm-hmm. there are um, – anyway, I'll get off yeah. that tangent, but there are a lot of like negative impacts of just always like pushing it really hard. So. And pushing it too hard, too frequently, so you're not getting that recovery time. Correct. Correct. Like you want to what we call um, wave the load. So, like really, really high level. Let's say you train strength training three days a week, and you're on a training plan. A very easy way to structure that is light day, heavy day, medium day. Mm. And that sort of like that that naturally allows you to um, build strength, but without overtaxing your your body and your system. And does that look different for everyone?
0: Or are you doing those each with like a, a rest or restorative day in between? Yeah. you.
1: I mean, usually you want like a rest day in between, especially after a heavy day. But, you know, a rest day could look like – it could look like a long walk. It could be light cardio. It could be um, some really light strength work that's not super heavy. It could be yoga. Or, you know, like you don't have to just do nothing, um, right. but you just wouldn't want to do back-to-back like heavy days. Yeah, absolutely. I've seen that happen so often with
0: – I don't know if it's so frequent anymore, but when the CrossFit thing was huge at first, I would see that so frequently, people doing like five days in a row of CrossFit yeah. and then just always injured.
1: Yeah. I know. I don't want to like go too far down that. I mean, there are right. some really, really great CrossFit coach, coaches. Course, right? yeah, exactly. yeah. There are some amazing CrossFit coaches, but – I do think that there was a mentality of like go 100% all the time um, yeah. within CrossFit that did cause some harm, right? And I think that CrossFit as a system is is amazing. I mean, it introduces people to kettlebells and barbell and like pull-ups and, you know, it, it, it brought a lot of these things into the mainstream and, you know, it brought strong women into the mainstream yeah, and the CrossFit yeah. Games. There are so many positive things about it, but you're right. You do need to Wave the load, right? And make exactly. sure that you're building you're recovery doing. as yeah. well. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, I want to make sure we touch on any other points that
0: you wanted to make about performance training, but I think it's a frequent mistake that people start to work out and think, oh, I'm increasing my calorie burn because I'm working out and mm. I could instantly be losing weight, seeing that needle move on the scale what have you and i think that one of the really cool things that for me is a really motivating performance based goal is just tracking my weights and i you know i don't mm-hmm. have kettlebell, so i don't do kettlebell training yet but just with traditional weight training yeah tallying whatever weights i'm using and seeing like oh i'm actually able to increase my weights every week or every other week that is motivating too. So I think that that can be another form of a performance goal where you're seeing progress. So even if you don't think, oh, well, maybe my body composition isn't changing as rapidly as I want it to, um, you can actually see, but I'm actually gaining strength. Like things are changing. I'm making real progress. And when people start to focus on that instead of, am I losing weight? It's, you know, it's just more
1: motivating to long-term. A PR is a PR. And I, I mean you have to recognize those wins and celebrate those wins and almost like keep your eye out and kind of be looking for them in your life um because they're they're important and you have to you know celebrate the small things like i have one student i love her because she has such an open mind and she's very consistent but she's also a total beginner and so she's in her early 60s and awesome. yeah and she came to me because her mom recently died. I want to say in the past like two years and she was, you know, caregiving. Mm. And she said that she saw her mom's world just shrink and get smaller and smaller and smaller because of her mom just not being physically able to really do anything anymore. And so she was like, I'm 61 and it's, it's, it's never too late, right? Like it is never too late to start. And she was like, I want quality of life. I want longevity, but I want quality. So I'm going to learn how to use kettlebells. So, so she, that's why she's working with me and some of her small wins. I mean, this is a small win, but take the win where she was like, you know, I noticed that in the morning I have my cup of coffee and I sit down in my sort of like easy chair. And before I started doing strength training, I would have to put down my cup and then like sit down. Right. Because I didn't want to spill the coffee all over me. Mm -hmm. She's like, but now I just wasn't even thinking about it. And I just sat down with my cup. Right. Because we built up her strength and her balance and her proprioception, which is basically like this big word for like knowing where your body is in space, you know? So like, Sure, that's a lot of people would be like, okay, that's kind of a small thing, but it's a big thing, right? You have to be like, yeah. yes, like especially that's- if you lose it, that
0: ability. Per- yes, right. Yeah. And you realize yeah. like, oh my God. Yeah. My mom had something similar where she was like, I realized the other day that I can't just if I sit on the ground, like I have to get up on all fours and then mm-hmm. stand up. Mm-hmm.
1: That's a big indicator of just longevity in, in general yeah. is how easy or hard is it to get up and down off the floor. Yeah.
0: And I think that that is something that thankfully I am seeing more often that we women are realizing, hey, (laughs) I want to actually have quality of life because I could be living quite a while. You know, humans are living longer, not necessarily better. So how can we live better? How can we train for that health span, right? Creating a healthier, better, higher quality of lives for ourselves long term. How can we protect our brains, right? All of these things that strength training does for us. I mean, I talk over and over about increasing your insulin sensitivity by increasing muscle and just using your muscles, um, preventing Alzheimer's and dementia. It's, It's all intertwined. Yeah, yeah, so, we, a really we,
1: story. we both read, Cho and I both read um, Young Forever, Dr. Mark mm-hmm. Hyman's most recent book. We listened to it. Yeah, I found him out from you because you would share a bunch of his stuff. And so I'm, <laughs> so I like follow him and then his new book came out. So we both finished it. And for your listeners, read Young Forever by Dr. Mark Hyman. He really nails it in terms of what to eat, what not to eat and movement. Okay. I actually gave the book to my mom because she's a big reader and we were just talking about it. And we're like, yeah, I'll give you the book. And um, I went through the table of contents and I'm like, okay, read this, read this. I was like, you can probably skip the chapter about blood replacement therapy because that's kind (laughs) of out there. Yeah, That's very advanced. I'm not even going to- Most people are not going to find that accessible and practical. Yeah. Yeah. There are a few things that he talks about that are like, like out there. And I'm like, don't worry about that. Right. But I'm like, pay close attention to everything he's saying about food and movement because it's right. And guess what? The American Heart Association is way off. Mm -hmm. This is where I also get passionate where I'm like, they're lying to you. (laughs) you know, um, in terms of, of food and nutrition. So yeah. yeah, like for sure, like the idea of health span and how do you optimize your health span because it's sad. People, so many people today think that it's expected and inevitable to lose your ability to move mm. and move well and get up off on the ground and be able to play with your kids on the floor and Um, you know, like go on a hike and go on a bike. They're like, Oh, those are those are things that you just do up until you're 40 something and then you just stop. Yeah, and I'm like, No, it's it doesn't have to be that way. And it's yeah, like it it is sad because I feel like there are a lot of people that are trapped by that mindset. And I know you and I were like, Oh no, I'm gonna go biking through France when I'm 75. Like, let's do this. Yeah, so. Yeah. yeah,
0: another one of my guests this season is um, a man named Bruce Barry. He's a, he's a local endurance athlete, seventy four cool. years old. Wow, incredible! And he's talking a lot about that, you know, ancestral yeah. health and and health span and how we can live better, the you know, as in every phase of life, which I think is really exciting. And that brings us. I want to segue into something because. When we talk about lasting motivation, I think that we need to recalibrate what healthy means to us. Because, you know, the generation that, and I'm a little older than you, but growing up, you know, 80s, 90s, it was kind of like, well, if you're thin, you must be healthy, which we now mm-hmm. know is absolutely not true. Mm-hmm. Um, no extreme on you know, the body composition scale is, is going to be healthy. What does being healthy mean to you, Kat? And why why do you think that just looking at the scale is problematic when we're trying to measure our progress?
1: Yeah, I'll start with the first part of that question. So what does being healthy mean to me? So I think of it sort of in two buckets or categories. So you have um, your physical health category. And then you have your sort of mental, emotional health Mm -hmm. category and they're, they're tied. They're not separate. They're just, I'm just, I'm, I'm verbalizing them as being two different things, but it's all one thing. And so I would put in that physical bucket, like, you know, what you're putting in your body in terms of food, you know, hydration probably falls in there too, movement and rest. As well, so that's kind of your your physical being, right? And knowing how to you know eat, drink, move, and rest in ways that promote health and just being able to do the things you want to do and feeling good and having good energy and all these things. And then I think in terms of the emotional, mental side, um, that's your emotional health. It's understanding like. Hey like you know we have a therapist <laughs> that we talk to <laughs> yeah. from time to time like that's your coach right for your mental emotional health and sort of untying he talks about untying knots mm. your background right and your family and your upbringing you'll have knots you'll have things the walls that you'll run into and you need that that coach that therapist and that guide to right. tell you like oh here's how we can like resolve this and untie this so that you can move forward with something. And then just, you know, having community, right? You could be a perfect healthy eater. You could be a perfect person for exercise, like, you know, perfectly hydrated. Like, let's say you're perfect in all those areas. But if you don't have any friends or family or relationships that are meaningful that you can maintain, yeah. I wouldn't say you're healthy, right? So right. what, absolutely. what is your community? And then just, you know, being a kind of person and having a purpose in your life. Purpose. I don't know. Yeah. I don't That's know if that so answers the question. Yes. Just no, it absolutely quiet. does. I, th- yeah. I think that those
0: are really great points to make that people can focus on because to me, that lasting motivation comes from all of those aspects, Right, And the more of those things that we can have as drivers for our goals, the better, the more likely we are to reach them. And the more likely we are to enjoy the process and the journey to reach those goals.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So. I think so with goal setting too, because I, th- I think we were, we were chatting about goal setting earlier is I'll say that you and I are... Far from perfect, and we're working on lots of things. Yes, but there are certain things that we have sort of mastered, right? Like, you know, prioritizing like veggies and protein and whole foods, and not eating a lot of processed stuff, right? Like we right. we're good at that. <laughs> we know how to do that, and that's a very important life skill when it comes to feeling your best, having great energy, um, and and feeling healthy, and and yeah. knowing that you're healthy. But with goal setting, you also, like with my students, you need to start small and make your your habits and goals almost ridiculously easy, yes. so that you can be successful and then on that success, like stack more. Habits. I'm sure you've read Atomic Habits by James Clear. I'm, yeah. <laughs> I've like listened to it like multiple times. Atomic uh, Habits, Tiny
0: Habits. I love both of those books. I think ooh, I haven't Tiny read Habits, Tiny Habits a little bit
1: better just because I adore BJ Fogg
0: and he's just such a lovely – he has a beautiful soul. Um, oh, but same okay. Concept. I'll read that one. Absolutely same concept. Mm-hmm.
1: Yeah. So then we'll, we'll put that in the show notes. Yes. <laughs> All of our book re- recommendations. I like to recommend books because then – Books are very affordable. People can just like not spend a lot of money on it and get it through their Audible. And then it's also like not me telling them what to do. (laughs) It's (laughs) somebody else who is like, yeah, somebody else who's like a clear expert. Like James Clear is obviously an expert in habit formation. So learn from the best, right? So read Atomic Habits and the way that he breaks it down. There are a lot of like game-changing ideas in that book but some of the ones that really stuck with me are what we just mentioned which is make your habits tiny and something that you can do that you can accomplish and be successful at yes. even on your worst day worst. on Zero your motivation day on your worst yes. day where everything went down the crapper at work and you got hmm. a flat tire and all everything went wrong yeah. right yeah. but you can still do your like minimum amount 10 minutes of walking on the treadmill like something that is just like so easy that you won't skip it, right? Because it's all about the streak. And so another thing that he leverages is streak trackers. I Mm. love streak trackers. I use them often as when I feel like I need a reset, you know, when I'm like, ooh, we just had a lot of family birthdays. And I feel like I had more like sugar type treat foods than I normally Mm -hmm. would. And I feel like I kind of want to like, do a mini, like you could call it a detox. I don't know if that's like a bad word to use, but a little mini break, right? From sure. something. Yeah. Um. And you, you can just be like, all right, let's do a 30 Get day street sugar tracker. Habit. Yeah. Of just like no sugar, you know, or whatever it is. Maybe it's a 30 days of making, you know, whatever your clients and students resonates with them. Maybe it's 30 days of having a big salad every day, you know, or 30 days of, Walking for 10 minutes every day and never, and never missing that. So, James Clear, he's awesome. Street trackers, tiny habits. And the third thing that I'll say about his book that's also very powerful for me is making your habits part of your identity. Yes. Like part of who you are. So, then that's like the mind shift, the mindset shift that in the long run, will make it almost effortless to do what you want to do. Because instead of being that person that's like, ugh, I have to work out like three days a week. If I don't, some bad thing's going to happen. And it's sort of this like, it's conflicting with who you are. You're never going to be able to stick to that. But if you can move into that headspace that's like, oh, I'm just the type of person that I'm always going to, I'm pretty much always going to hit three strength workouts a week and then on my off days make sure i'm hitting x number of steps on yeah. the, you know or whatever like whatever that looks like to you i'm the type of person who is always going to prioritize like some nice good veggies and protein in my meal and that's going to be the the main event of of my meals right yeah. yep. and then you're not constantly like fighting against yourself you're just yeah. like oh no that's just who i am and then like it's effortless it's it's amazing so yeah and you know this this could be an entirely
0: different and i've touched on this in a lot of other podcast episodes i talk about this constantly in my with my coaching clients with my coaching groups this concept of really starting to shift your inner dialogue and your speech instead of constantly saying i hate exercise i hate working out stop saying it because the more you say it the more it reinforces in every cell of your body that this is a miserable thing and you're punishing yourself like why would that why would you be motivated to change that mm-hmm. you're not mm-hmm. going to be you're going to dread it it's going to feel you know like a punishment it's going to be something negative you're never going to create that positive feedback loop in your brain yeah which we're creating when we have those small wins that we're celebrating
1: yeah yeah, you, you know? worked with me on that back in 2014. Mm. You were like, for me, you coined the term body hatred, mm. which I had never heard before, but you very much nailed it. Like that was something that I had um, you know, in in my life. And you were like, no, we, we're gonna flip the script on this and you're gonna, you're gonna like do some journaling and you're gonna like not say these negative things to yourself and you're just There's a little bit of like in the beginning, it's hard. There's a little bit of forcing yourself. Yeah, a little bit of to to flip the script, Mm -hmm. but the yeah, fake it till you make it because in the long run it works, and then you can just be like, oh no, like I I don't like hate anything about my body anymore. Like I can be okay with it or even happy with it on you know certain depending on the day. So yeah, yeah, and. Happy with what it's achieving for me,
0: happy with what it's allowing me to do, happy that, hey, look, it's getting stronger. I can lift this heavy stuff and I couldn't lift that a few weeks ago. Or, yeah, again, it just brings it back to that kind of shift of how are we measuring our progress? You know, how are we measuring what we want to achieve
1: and what we want to be able to do? Exactly. Like, I totally, you know, like. There are the wins in the gym, which are really um, important to recognize. but And then there are the wins outside of the gym, which are maybe a little bit more important because I would say 90, 99% of people are not like uh, trying to like deadlift 500 pounds. I mean, I know I know a lot of people who do want to do that because I'm in the strength yeah. world. But you know what I mean? Most, most people are just like, no, I just want to feel good and I want to be able to – go on a hike when I want to go on a hike. I want to be able to go paddle boarding and carry the paddle board. Yeah. Like Cho and I were in Vietnam in December and we on one of the day, we do all sorts of like, we love like going on big adventures. And one of the days we did um, an 80 kilometer bike ride. So it's like a 50 mile bike ride. Wow. And it was so much fun. We had the best day ever. We don't even own bikes. We do not <laughs> own bikes or an indoor bike.
0: But right. we're like, you like know you what, train for
1: this. we train, we train, like we're consistent with our kettlebells. We're consistent mm-hmm. with like some, you know, a bit of like cardio slash at least with like zone two cardio or whatever you want to call it so that we could literally show up in Vietnam be like, we don't even own bikes, crushed an 80 kilometer bike ride in like crazy headwinds and like had an yeah. amazing time. Yeah. And I want more people to experience that. And I, and I get upset when people my age and your age, they don't think it's even possible. And I'm like, it's possible now in your forties. And it's possible for another multiple decades. If, if you do this kind of minimum effective dose of taking care of yourself from a movement and nutrition standpoint minimum effective dose. I love that
0: statement because I think that we're such an all or nothing society and we tend to think okay, I you know, we have to hurt go hard or go home and all these things like and I think that's really detrimental because I think that people feel like, well, if I can't get a full hour workout in, why would I do anything? Or if it's not enough, like it's pointless or if, you know, I can't do x, y or z, they don't understand like the starting small is so powerful and it's actually easier to stay consistent. So you're actually more likely to increase your fitness level, improve your eating habits, whatever it is, when you are taking those little steps and just doing it more consistently versus trying to do the go hard, go home. I'm going to start working out on January 1st, five days a week in the gym for an hour. Like, no, that's, it's nuts. You're not going to do it. And I think you bring up something that's really important too, which to me is the concept of, of freedom. Yes, because I think a lot of people I hear women especially so often say, "I wish I could just eat whatever I wanted." And what they mean is like, I wish I could just mm. eat whatever I want all the time and have zero consequences. Well, you know, sure, but that's just not reality. Like you can't just, yeah. go, you know, live on junk food and expect your body to perform well. You can't put diesel into a gasoline car and expect it to run properly.
1: That's an interesting
0: comment. Yeah. Yeah. And instead of thinking of that as the type of freedom that you would love to have, which isn't a thing, it's not a possibility. Your body, it doesn't work like that. This is not the world or the physical body we live in. To me, freedom is what you're talking about. I can Go and take a trip. I can do these things spontaneously, activities, adventures, experiences where yeah. I'm free to experience life on these amazing, deep, meaningful yes. levels yes. without restriction. Yes. Without having to feel like crap or work through pain, injuries, feel like I'm missing out on fun things that people around me can do that I can't do. Your grandkids, your kids, maybe they're able to go for a hike or do something and you can't, that is not freedom. To me, that is far more restrictive than saying no to some processed carbohydrate food, right? Exactly. 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 Skipping whatever your 10 minute walk that day. Like yeah. And I think that if we can think of it on those terms, it, it just again, it's a little bit of a, a mindset shift to go, wait a minute. what is what does health mean to me? Like what is yeah. freedom? That's mean?
1: a really interesting thing that that i i I do a lot, obviously a lot more like kettlebell type coaching than nutrition coaching. I do do a little bit of like I'm you know, compared to you, I'm like kindergarten level nutrition. <laughs> Well, I'm not with fitness, so. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, you know, I, I do have like the precision nutrition certification. I've worked with a few people. But Um, that's interesting because that they say, I wish I could just eat whatever I, I wanted and not like, you know, have the bad consequences. And I think a lot of the stuff that I learned from you is training your body and your taste buds. Mm-hmm. <laughs> To enjoy whole, unprocessed foods. Yes. And understanding that the big food companies create hyper-palatable foods that, yeah. are, that are addictive, right? Yes. They are straight-up addictive. Like, there's a reason and why- designed to be so. Yeah. Yeah. And so, like, it may not be the most popular uh, opinion, but it's almost like- more people need to understand that all of these hyper pal- palatable hyper processed foods addictive foods are like it's okay to to abstain from them for mm-hmm. the, for the most part and in, and once you start doing that you start to like taste more from like whole unprocessed foods and also learning to cook like you I mean yeah. I already knew how to cook but you you like took me to a whole nother level, right? You're like, oh, here's how to cook with spices. Here's how to cook use citrus for flavor. Here's how to use herbs, right? Like here's how to use these healthy fats and oils that are unprocessed, right? So that now you have all these tools in your toolbox to be like, oh yeah, like Vietnamese chicken curry, like bring it on. Like I know how to make it and it's like, it's delicious. And so I I feel like that was like a little bit all over the place but kind of to land the plane like that needs to be a mindset shift where it's like no like pizza and potato chips and cookies yes they're delicious and you can enjoy them like in moderation but learn to make the delicious whole foods exactly. and enjoy them and and understand how delicious like a veggie scramble with goat cheese can be like you don't need all these like breads and things to go with it. So I think it's, um, people can be very close-minded about what tastes good and what, you know, and they have this idea that like healthy food has to be, is like gross. And I'm like, organic, no, right? yeah, it's, it's good. You just have to know how to make it. And you just have to also like not eat the hyper palatable stuff much yeah. because that gives your taste buds a chance to, to, to love all the like whole stuff. So.
0: Yeah, kind know. of recalibrate. Oh, it's so true. Yeah. it's so true. I mean, that's one thing that people always comment on in in my twenty one day reboot program is that you know initially nothing tasted really sweet enough because they were used to really sweet foods, but then after it's not usually a long time; it's a few days, couple maybe weeks, a week at the most, where they start yeah. to go, "Oh wow!" Like, I can't believe how much more, how much sweeter fruit tastes, yes. or a real tomato from my garden. Like it's so much more flavor. Like they start to really taste the food. It sort of recalibrates everything with your your taste. And also, you know, just circling back quickly, because this is another big topic, you know, obviously there are accessibility issues with nutritious food in this country. And it's expensive, unfortunately now, to eat real food that's grown properly. So not everybody has ideal access to that. But for those of us that do... You know, once we start shifting away from these hyperpalatable foods, you're making an environmental and political statement by stepping away from those things and saying, yeah. "No, I'm sorry, this is not. It's not real food. It's just not appropriate. These things are actually poisoning us, and they're poisoning the planet." It's you know, so there are multiple levels there that we should be paying
1: attention yeah. to and and looking at, as Dr. Mark Hyman says, your body doesn't know the difference between a bagel and a Coke below the neck. Yeah, exactly. And a lot of people don't believe they wouldn't believe that. And it's like, oh no, like a bagel and a Coke below the neck is the same thing in your gut and in your body. And your sugar is stay away from that stuff. Like, or, you know, in very moderate Amounts like mo- yeah. extreme moderation. So, yeah. and again,
0: when we're looking to fulfill our lives and all these other aspects, this you know, community and connecting with nature and you know, nourishing ourselves properly, like all of these things can help create healthy neurotransmitter production so that we're mm-hmm. not so desperately needing that dopamine hit that those addictive foods are giving us.
1: Yeah. Yeah. You don't <laughs> right. need the like, like the caffeine spike and then the sugar yeah. spike and then like the alcohol like to bring you down and then like the more sugar and that, you know, like people are just like using these substances as a crutch to just survive their yes. super extremely right. stressful life. Yeah, And it's I like, it. you're going to feel less stressed and less tired if you're not constantly using sugar and caffeine to like bring you up and then alcohol to bring you down. And then you're just yeah. on this constant roller coaster. And it's like, no, like your body is, it's taking, it's taking a hard toll on your body.
0: Yeah, for sure. For sure. So tell us Kat, because I want to be respectful of your time. Sorry, what I'm would like you say? I know you and family. I could talk for hours <laughs> about this, but- How do you stay really consistent with your fitness and nutrition? Like what are your biggest motivators, especially at the times where you're like, ugh, because I'm guessing you, like any other one of us have days where you're like, I don't want to, I don't feel like it. (laughs) Oh gosh, I know. And over the years, I mean, you've been consistent with this for years. And I think that that's really inspirational. and, And for some people feels like, oh my gosh, could I ever, you know, it's hard for me to stick to something for a month, let alone years or the rest of my life.
1: Yeah. Going back to James Clear and Atomic Habits, the book, I do truly or I have truly made my habits my identity. Mm. So what does that look like on the day to day? That means that, you know, if I'm like on a girls' weekend with some of my girlfriends and they're all like having like drinks or, you know, like sharing like dessert or something, um, I'm totally okay with being like, no, I'm good. Like, it's okay. I don't drink, you know? like, And I'm not saying like, you have to do what I do. That's just what works for me. Right. But I think it's sort of like having your your habits be part of your identity and not really caring what other people think.
0: Yeah. (laughs) You know, yourself, what works for you.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So I think, um, yeah, understanding that idea of identity based habits or always trying to fit in, even if it's only like a 30 minute quick workout, like knowing that I, it's important for me to not skip mm. the day, even if it's just 30 minutes of walking or something, making sure that I'm like, okay, no, I didn't skip, right? I didn't sure. completely skip something. So that would be part of it. Identity-based habits. We're all human and we all do have days where we fall off the bandwagon, right? Yeah. Whether it's like overindulging in a food that is like a low nutrient Caloric dense food, right? We have our spectrum of like nutrient dense, not nutrient dense, calorie dense, not calorie dense, right? So overindulging on a a calorie dense and not nutrient dense food and feeling like, ooh, I I overdid it, right? We all do it. Like it happens. It happens from time to time. Um, And it's all about just like making that next, the good choice, right? And just getting like what you could call like right back on the bandwagon Mm -hmm. and just like what you taught me back in the day is just don't beat yourself up, right? Guilt plays no purpose in this. Like you don't need to feel guilty. And that's what you taught me. But you just are like, you know what, just pretend you're on a little like Google Maps GPS. And when you take a wrong turn, it's not like the GPS is like, You're a bad person. Like you're wrong. You're stupid. Yeah. It's like, it's like, no, you just, it's a gentle U-turn, right? You're like, okay, you made a wrong turn. Make a gentle U-turn. No judgment. Just get back on the path that you originally wanted to be on. So I think that's an important skill to build. So I use that. And then I also have like a a little like daily to-do list, which is totally normal, right? Like maybe you use like an app. I just use like the notepad in my phone and I'll write down like the main things I want to accomplish that day. And I always include workout and stretch Mm. just so I can check them off at the end of the day. Which feels so good, right? (laughs) Yeah. 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 I write them down sometimes after I've done them so I can check it off. Oh (laughs) yeah. Oh no, that's super satisfying. Yeah, I do that too. So even if that day's workout is just a half an hour walk, you know, like that's better than nothing, right? But at yeah. least I did it and I can be like, check it off, right? And then like stretch. So I don't always like skip my mobility work. I'm gonna check it off. And then it's kind of as simple as that. And again, I'm not perfect, but I will say that that little visual reminder mm-hmm. where it's like, oh, like write this YouTube description, get back to this email, sure. work out, <laughs> stretch. Like they're yeah. in the list and you're seeing that as you're checking your to-do list. And I I actually do that every day. So it helps.
0: Yeah. That helps me too. I, I I love to have something visually that I'm like, oh, okay, this is what's on the agenda. And for me yeah. too, I have realized I have ADHD and I've realized that for me working out helps me mm. function. Like it makes my brain work so much better. Mm-hmm.
1: And, With the movement. Yeah. Oh man.
0: It really is a game changer for helping me just focus and have more sustained energy throughout the day. My mood is so much better. It's um, so good for your brain. Oh yeah. So it like, in a way I'm lucky that way because it's kind of a non option. Like I, it's not an option for me to not do it because otherwise I'm not as functional that day. Yeah. And I do have rest days yeah. that I take for sure, but if it's actually scheduled on my calendar, it's something I can check off. It's like yeah. it, it feels really gratifying and that gratification again is that you know celebrating those small wins, like acknowledging little small steps throughout the day that's going to kind of train your brain to be like, yeah, let's do it again. Let's do it
1: again yeah. versus like
0: dreading it. Yeah, so,
1: always, always consistency over intensity. That's a, also yes, what we I say in the kettlebell, in the, kind of in the That's fitness world. Consistency that. trumps intensity. Amen. Yep. yep. That's their quote, quote of the day. <laughs>
0: <laughs> oh, so finally, Kat, like what tips do you have for our listeners who do struggle with consistency or motivation? You know, maybe they're caregivers, maybe they've got a bunch of kids at home and it is, you know, either hard for them to prioritize that time for themselves or, um, you know, I have some clients who start work really early, yeah. and it's hard for them to get a workout in first. And then by the end of the day, they're like, "Oh, I'm just, I'm just toast." What tips do you have for those of us who, you know, consistency and motivation has maybe not been a thing up until now?
1: Yeah, we don't talk about motivation as much because I think there's a, a misconception. A lot of people think that that they need they need to feel motivated in mm-hmm. order to complete their workout and yeah. That's, that's not the case. Uh, unfortunately, motivation is fleeting. Yes. Uh, so you do have to lean on other things like uh, discipline and, you know, like some l- less sexy things. Uh, so I wouldn't expect to always feel motivated. There are going to be some days where you're going to be like, yeah, I'm like motivated to crush this workout. But it's. I would say that's the minority, not the majority of the time. Yes. And um, I would agree so, with that. And everybody, yeah. that's coming from two
0: women who like fitness is part of our job like cat it's really your job. Yeah. Yeah. Me, yeah. But that's yeah, we do not feel motivated every day and go, "Wee, I'm so excited to start my workout."
1: Yeah. No, no, no. I think um I think it comes back to we've already covered tiny habits and atomic habits and making it Really small, yeah,
0: doable, so that
1: you can do it even on your worst day. And kind of what we call this I, I stole this from a gym over in Massachusetts called Skill of Strength, they're really cool. And one of the things that they talk about is your BAM, which stands for your bare ass minimum. <laughs> I love that. So, do and what you do is you define your BAM, right? So, if you're like, okay, if I let's say in a perfect world today. Wednesday, I'm gonna do a 45 minute strength and conditioning session and with stretching afterwards. Right, that's like the perfect scenario. But whatever, like you had to pick up the kids from school and the school got out late and the time hit the fan. Like got messed up. Right, everything hit the fan. So instead of skipping it, define your BAM, your bare ass minimum, and you you make it happen no matter what. And it has to be easy enough to do. So if that's literally like. I'm going to go do five minutes of yoga type stretching and breathing. Great. That's what it is. It's only five minutes, mm-hmm. right? You could do that before bed at like 10 o'clock at night. So make it something that like you can do no matter what so that then you're never skipping. Yeah. And then the next day you're like, Hey, I, the next day, great. I got my 45 minutes in. Awesome. Right. But I would say like not breaking the streak and having that BAM, that bare ass minimum is a very powerful tool to build momentum and feel successful and then be able to like over time, like the longer that streak is, mm-hmm. the better you get at it, yeah. right? And you, but the better you get at consistency. So then maybe like a month later, you're like, okay, I've kind of mastered this BAM. Maybe I can add another little piece to it now because yeah. I'm getting better at being consistent.
0: Yeah, and all along the way, it's reinforcing that identity. If I'm someone who does X every day,
1: and mm-hmm. I'm someone
0: who doesn't skip it, yeah, I'm someone who, yep. no matter what, like, yeah, I move my body every day. Yeah, so I love. That's probably what it would be for me. Awesome, I love that. Well, in conclusion, why don't you tell everybody where they can find you, and you know anything that you've got going on right now that you want to share with people.
1: Yeah. Well, you can find me and my husband Cho at our website, which is catandcho.com. And actually, you have to, I'll spell it out for you because both of our names have multiple spellings. So it's C A T A N D C H A U.com. That's our website. You can email us. You can find us on Instagram. Our shared handle is at catandcho. But I'm also catbucklee, C A T B U C K L E, on Instagram. So you can find us there. And yeah, just, Reach out anytime whether it's um, you know just like a kettlebell question if you want to learn from me one-on-one if you want to know when I'm teaching my next workshop in the Pacific Northwest um, if you want to find out more about kettlebell certifications um, you know train online with me or even just I have a kettlebell 101 course um, an online course that we really put a lot of thought into breaking it down for, Total beginners, like awesome. totally new um, to kettlebells. So that is, you can find that on our website as well, catandshow.com or catandshow.tv. So that's a cool one. It's super affordable for people who are like, you know what? I want to learn kettlebells and learn the the basic movements, but I'm not quite ready to invest in a coach yet investing in a coach is always a good idea, but you know, I understand that not everybody is in that, that, that phase of their life. Um, so it's like a super, um, easy price point for learning kettlebells. So yeah, it's a great little course. Awesome. Cool. Well, I'll put all of that information in the show
0: notes for you guys so you can find Cat and Show easily. Thank you so much for spending time with us today. I'm personally, already more motivated and excited for my, my next workout. Um, but yeah, it's great to connect with you guys. I think what you're doing is really impactful. And yeah, everybody get out there, check out catandshow.com, And yeah, thanks for joining us.
1: Well, thanks so much, Jeannie. It's always awesome to chat with you and just connect with you on all these topics that you and I get really pumped up about and passionate about. So hopefully hopefully that passion kind of spilled through into the podcast. So thank you so much. (laughs) Thank you,
0: Kat. Hey there. I'm so glad you hung out with me today. And if you enjoyed the show, please share it, subscribe, and leave me a review. It only takes a minute and it helps me achieve my mission of giving more women the tools to feel better and enjoy life more. Also check out the show notes for links to connect with me and learn more about the information and products featured in each episode. Thanks for listening and I'll see you next time. And now for all the legal stuff. I am not a doctor and the content here should not be taken as medical advice. All information in this podcast is for informational purposes only, does not constitute medical advice and does not establish any kind of practitioner or coach-client relationship. This podcast is not a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnoses or treatment. Do not disregard medical advice or delay seeking medical advice because of information you hear in this podcast, and do not start or stop any medications without speaking to your health provider. Always seek the advice of a qualified health practitioner before undertaking any new health regimen. This podcast and website represents the opinions of Jeannie Oliver and guests to the show. Opinions of guests are their own and do not reflect the opinions of Genie Oliver Wellness LLC or our producers.